Welcome to Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. Are you hungry to hear more about our beautiful Savior Jesus? Well, the Bible declares that grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of Jesus. Join me for revelatory teaching, interviews with leaders in the body of Christ, and testimonies of God's goodness in your life. Thanks for joining the conversation to reveal more of Jesus to a hurting world today. I think if there's folks that are struggling right now and having a a confusing relationship with church and aren't sure how your future with church looks, I think I would just say that it's okay to think about and doubt and ask big questions and to not be afraid to to ask because if Jesus is true and I'm convinced that he is real and true then I think that God can handle our doubts and our questions and those are ways that we become closer and stronger and more clear-eyed about our faith. But before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our Christina Prayer Ministry sponsors who help support the mission to unite the body of Christ and fulfill the Great Commission with love. A big shout out to Gopher Ministries, who provides all of our equipment for our gospel events. Davis Financial Services, who does all of our financial accounting. Harvest Family Network, through which I am licensed and ordained. And Life Changing Productions, who helps put together evangelistic events to reach our city for Jesus. If you or your organization are interested in becoming a CPM sponsor, you can find out more information on our website at ChristinaPereira.org. Do you have a loved one special occasion coming up and don't know what to get them? Well, now you can sponsor an episode of Revealing Jesus in their name. And you can give them a special dedication message read on air. It makes a great gift. To find out more information, just go to christinapereira.org slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I'm so excited to have you with me here today. I hope and I pray that you are doing well right where you are and enjoying the continuously flowing favor of grace pouring from our beautiful Savior and Father in heaven. I've got a great show for you today. I have an amazing person in the body of Christ with me today. She is a writer, and she is a fellow member of my generation, and she is the author of Orphan Believers. I have with me here today, Sarah Phillips. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Christina. I'm so happy to be here and to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here with me today. I saw your book, and it's so struck me as such a powerful message right now to Gen X, the elder millennials and the millennials. And I just had to have you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I've told our listeners about you. Is there something you can share with them? Maybe just something personal just to help get to know you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm a writer based in Seattle. I grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then moved out to Seattle about 20 years ago. So I think that's long enough for it to be official. Maybe there's like a 10-year a 10-year mark or something. But I have a couple of kids and something that I really love to do is my son's a a musician. He really likes to compose. And so I really love to see live music with him and hear him play cello. And it's just like a real joy to to pass down some of the music that I grew up really loving um, as a teenager to, to him. So it's been really special lately just to listen to 
songs together and watch YouTube videos and see concerts here in Seattle. It's been a really sweet season with him. So I'll take it while he's still not ironic and 13. Maybe by the time he's 16, he'll, it'll be uncool to hang out with his mom. But so far, it's <laughs> working really well. That's awesome. I love that. Isn't it amazing how when they discover like our generation's music, how amazed they are and how awesome it is? Isn't that weird? It's, yeah, it's happened to a lot of our friends' kids as well, and it's really fun to see. I think the 90s had some pretty great music, so I may be biased, but it's been really sweet. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting, though, because as I've gone on my walk with Jesus, you know, like the stuff I listen to now is very different than what I grew up with, obviously, in the 80s and 90s. But it's so interesting because looking back, you know, as my daughters were like playing the 80s playlist, I'm like, ooh, that's not appropriate. Ooh, maybe we shouldn't play that. Ooh, yes, that's some of the pop songs were a <laughs> Yeah, wow. there was a little edge, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely was. But they had such good beats. Oh, I know. Totally. I, I know. I love it. Well, since this is revealing Jesus, can you share with our listeners how you met our beautiful Savior, Jesus? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I'm an only child and I grew up with parents that were still, in a way, pretty new Christians. My dad is Jewish and grew up in a Reformed Jewish home in Indiana and um, became a believer in the 70s. My mom and dad got married when they were in their late teens. It wasn't a very well thought out decision. They ended up separating and getting divorced six months later. And my dad was pretty desperate and what ended up going to a Bible study at his friend's apartment. And after going for a couple of months, describes a very profound moment where one night at the Bible study, they were studying the book of Daniel. He just felt the Holy Spirit kind of just come over him. And he says he leapt over the couch and ran to the parking lot and fell on his face and accepted Jesus and had this really beautiful conversion to Christianity, and so much so that my mom ended up seeing him a few months later. She went to his office and said hello, and she didn't recognize. Like, his countenance had lifted. His face had changed. It was mm -hmm. just very beautiful. They ended up getting remarried and having me. So I grew up in a household that loved Jesus and went to church, went to a non-denominational church in Indiana. Um, but at the same time, my dad was really influenced by kind of end times culture by the book, The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey and a lot of kind of apocalyptic language and became really um, focused on the rapture and holds that premillennial dispensationalist view that Jesus will return in our lifetime. So I was also raised as a kid in a way that was kind of complicated, which I talk about in Orphaned Believers, is being raised with a lot of fear that maybe I wouldn't be able to grow up and have a family or start a career or go to school or whatever because Jesus would return. And so my childhood was really um, a mix of getting to know God and that being joyful, as well as a real fear that I wouldn't truly experience life if the rapture would come. So it was complicated. And then by the time I, I got a little bit older, high school and college, I ended up meeting some friends that were kind of creative like me and liked books and ideas and, you know, good music. And I kind of realized there was a different way to meet Jesus, to be a Christian that maybe didn't look so focused on and time stuff and maybe felt a little bit more countercultural. Um, and then, yeah, I think my faith really became my own. I'd say in the last 10 years, we ended up moving out to Seattle. And that was, you know, a difficult time. It was a time where the identity that I was holding at work or in my professional life was really kind of hidden from my church life. I just walked through about 12 years of a spiritual desert where I, I felt like 
my light was like barely lit. It was like almost snuffed out under the bushel, you know, and really it wasn't until um, my mid thirties when I began to really meet Jesus profoundly and personally through spiritual direction and different contemplative prayer and just some real beautiful grounding principles that really helped me, I think, become well-formed and grounded in my faith. That was a lot. That was, you know, decades. So I kind of had a, a kid conversion and then I think an adult really kind of owning and experiencing Jesus in a different kind of way. Mm, I love that so much. You know, I think a lot of people have had that experience. That's why I love hearing testimonies because somebody out there is going to be able to relate to your testimony. And it's important that we share it because so many kids, a lot of times they go to church, they may they may love Jesus and they may do it out of the emotions and emotions of it. But having that real relationship with Jesus for yourself is a journey and it's different for every single person. And That's right. Yeah. And it really, it seems like, you know, when we are out on our own and like if we do grow, I mean, not everyone grows up in a Christian family, certainly, but if we do, then when we're out kind of after college or kind of in a different maybe move to a city or a new place. It's really an interesting time where I think we have choices to make about kind of how to live and what to believe and what we think about church. It's just a really formative time, that kind of 20s, 20-something decade, I think, for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, I have absolutely uh, loved reading your book, The Orphan Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. This book really speaks to our generation, the Gen X, the elder millennial, and the millennials. We grew up in such an age where Christianity was a cultural norm, but it lacked the power and presence of God. And I think it left a lot of us searching for more. And your book talks a lot about the fear of what we grew up with in the 80s and the 90s and uh, how some of those things really shaped us. And I have to say, reading through your book, I chuckled at remembering some of the stuff that we went through. And then other things, I was like, oh my gosh, that is really traumatic. Like, am I okay from that? Like, not really realizing, wow, that is really awful. (laughs) So let's talk about that. So can you tell me, what would you define as an orphan believer right now in this moment, this time in our culture? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, when I write about orphaned believers or use that term, I'm really just thinking about any Christian living in America that's looking around the church right now and having trouble finding Jesus. You know, there may be the headlines are about a lot of brokenness. There's a lot. There's a hunger from, I think, a lot of us that in the presence of a lot of differences, I mean, we've just come out of the heart of the pandemic, which certainly divided churches. And we see a lot of headlines about celebrity pastors that have fallen from grace or abuse, or there's just so much division. And like certainly politically that I think a lot of us are looking around the church and wondering if the church is what we have, if we still need the church because it's what Christ left us with. I mean, we serve a a triune God in relationship and church is just the gathered community of believers, then what do we do? Like, how do we work for its health to be a true witness to Jesus instead of something that's been politically co-opted or that's culturally a certain way? How do we really move towards being well-formed and grounded? And so that's really what I wanted to understand in the book. And I thought it might make sense or be interesting to look back at what was coming 
going on in the 80s and 90s when a lot of us were being raised to see if there were any through lines to today to answer the question, what happened and why are so many young people leaving church? So I really look at three parts. I look at end times kind of culture, which maybe not all of us grew up in, but I think a lot of folks did. And then also culture wars and consumerism. So I try to look at those three buckets and see what I can find. Mm, That's so good. And, you know, I think he said something really powerful. The end time, you talked about this a lot, the end time fear that Jesus can come back any moment and not getting that chance to grow up. Will we get a chance to grow up? Will we get a chance to get married? Will we go through that? And I think so much of our generation, we lived in that. I grew up in in a Baptist evangelical church and, you know, it was absolutely there. That presence was there. In fact, I didn't know if I would ever get to grow up. And I'm kind of wondering if my daughter will get to grow up. So it's hard. So we hold this tension. We hold this hope, this expectation that Jesus is returning and can return at any moment. But there's also that aspect of it. We also are to be about the Great Commission until he returns. He has something for us to do. It's not just like, oh, we're going to just live our lives and get to do all this stuff until he comes. It's, I have things for you to do because I'd like to take as many people with me as possible. Can you talk about that? Well, I think that when I was growing up, the way that it happened, the way that we focused our efforts and energy, you know, there was really not a lot of focus on creation care or on the environment or taking care of the earth that God's given us because the idea was it's kind of going to burn, right? Like the earth is just going to go away and we'll be a new heaven and new earth. Well, there, there just wasn't a lot of focus or responsibility on really caring for the world around us. And that was a really hard part of growing up, especially now. And when we look around and see all of the issues that are coming up from the climate crisis. And so I think that one way that I hold the tension of like for, you know, when I think about Jesus coming back, I think about all things being made right. I think of all the sad things not being true anymore. I think about being made whole and being joined together in like this perfect, beautiful community. And so I think that there's a way to hold hope but also to be really aware with their eyes open about how to work to make the world safer and flourishing, like how to bring the kingdom here to earth while we're we're on earth, I think is a really beautiful calling and a gift, something that could be a joy for us to do. And I think that that wasn't how it was kind of presented to me when I was growing up. So that's something I've really come around to as an adult. Yes, absolutely. Realizing that there's a kingdom and it's here to build is a huge shift in our thinking I think that we need to make in the evangelical section, it's not about necessarily building churches or organizations, but it's building the kingdom of God. And so I think that's so important. You talked about Christian nationalism. Now, for those of you out there, I am not a Christian nationalist. I am all for freedom of religion and freedom for all in this nation. Can you talk about how Christian nationalism and the Trump presidency has shaped evangelical behavior here in America? Yeah. You know, I think that when I talk about Christian nationalism, I I think it's first really good to talk about what I'm not saying, which is not patriotism. I mean, I consider myself a patriot. I I love our country and want to work for its flourishing, and that's a healthy thing. But in Christian nationalism, I think there's this way that we've kind of conflated or 
focused on of God blessing America specifically. And it's a type of kind of religious nationalism that holds that that instead of pluralism or freedom of religion, that Christianity should be kind of like the only or should be the recognized religion. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a real beauty that comes from difference and from freedom of said so that we're all able to express and vocalize what we believe. And I think that something that happened during 2016 when Trump was running and since then is that I think a lot of kind of extreme rhetoric and violent acts, especially that we saw in the insurrection, you know, on January 6th, where folks were holding Jesus saves yes. and crosses and then also violently storming the Capitol, that all kind of got mixed up and confused. And so I think that the, a Christian certainly should pray for our nation to flourish and should pray for the work of God to spread here and that we would be able to live and worship freely and our kids would. But that's different than politically sort of forcing Christianity into power. And I think that I think that how I saw what President Trump did was really co-opt the upside down kingdom of Jesus, which says the last shall be first mm-hmm. with a, a message that was, I think, trying to gain power and to be elected. And so like the kind of Jesus that I think a lot of us see in the Bible is one of justice and care for the poor and care for the last being first. And Christianity is not about power. It's about laying down power. And so to me, that feels like the opposite of Christian nationalism. Are you a new believer in Jesus and don't know where to start? First, let me say welcome to the family of God. It's so important to anchor yourself in the gospel and the finished work of Jesus. This powerful workbook includes foundational gospel truths to anchor your heart in new covenant reality and interactive journaling prompts to begin your relationship with Jesus. This workbook includes teaching based on the Word of God. It will help you understand precisely why you need a Savior, what Jesus has done for you, your new creation life in Him, and how to have a relationship with Him. Journal through the pages to dive deep into the heart of God for you as His child and increase your faith as you learn about our beautiful Savior. Be sure to pick up a copy of New Believer Workbook foundational gospel truths to begin your relationship with Christ Jesus today. Links in the show notes, or you can pick up a copy at Amazon or christinapereira.org slash store. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I have to say, as a leader of the body of Christ and as a minister, I have never done more weeping and praying for the body Mm -hmm. of Christ and for this nation that I have ever did in the last eight years. You know, the Lord told me immediately, I have that strong prophetic gift of what was going to take place. He told me to watch and he told me to pray. And I was faithful to that post. And I prayed for the body of believers, even through up to the January 6th insurrection. But we've watched people take the cross, the ultimate symbol of sacrifice, of laying down your life for the rights of another and use it in such a profane way Mm. and it made me very angry and I think we need to talk about that and and I have to say that people have been watching this behavior and you know I've had uh, neighbors and and friends say to me I don't understand why they're doing this this doesn't even sound like Jesus it doesn't even sound like Christianity and I've had to explain to them some of the things that you've talked about that have come like from our generation 
many of them have been told, and you had mentioned this in your book, that there were prophetic words given that Trump was the Messiah or the Savior and how the Lord was going to bring judgment against the nation if we didn't turn the entire nation back to God and all of this type of rhetoric. And so people have been spurred on by this and they feel like they're fighting for their nation. Yeah. And I think that even if you weren't an end times kid, right, like not everybody was raised with a kind of fear that could come with the way that people like my dad talked about the end times in the 80s and 90s. But there is this sense of, I don't know, I think that there's a lot of fear and control. You can feel like you have a sort of sense of control if you feel like you know how the world's going to end or what's coming. Or Mm -hmm. there's just, I think we all have a need to want to understand or predict what's coming up. But I think it's really easy to move from the hope and promise that we read in the Bible about all things being made new to wanting to kind of grasp for certainty and being afraid when things change and wanting to have some kind of predictability or or control. And so I I think that that same feeling is seen a lot today with, you know, violent Christian nationalism, with conspiracy theories. Like when you Mm -hmm. think you know how it's going to go down or what the story really is, there's kind of a power shift where you then can sort of tell yourself that everything's going to be okay and you know what's really happening. When the truth is... (laughs) What we do know for sure is that, like we read in Matthew 10, if if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up, you'll find it. I mean, what I read in the Gospels is not about certainty, but it's about not being anxious and not knowing the future, but knowing that God is good and God is near and God is with us no matter what happens, you know. And so I think that our call is to move deeper into being well-formed and into the Gospel Mm -hmm. and into reading the Psalms and into prayer and less about trying to kind of Whopped politically some kind of control or dominance. Mm, so good. Because, you know, the scripture that keeps coming up on my heart is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if you go back and you read the Gospels, Jesus actually rebukes, was it James and John? He calls them sons of thunder. They wanted to call down fire on people because they did not believe the message of Jesus. And Jesus himself says, You do not know what spirit you are of. The spirit of Christ goes low. The spirit of Christ comes up under. The spirit of Christ goes after the outcast, after the disabled, the poor. It goes after those and comes up under to support those people. Jesus has always been a champion of them, and he will always be. And so I think it's a fundamental shift. You talked about what does healthy Christian counterculture look like in our day and age. And that is absolutely just it. Do you want to add anything else to that healthy Christian Mm -hmm. counterculture? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think for me, I was a creative kid and I really liked writing poems. And I think that the kind of music I heard in church and the culture of youth group, I just always felt a little bit like an outsider. I mean, I'm an Enneagram 4. I think a lot of people, if you're an introvert or just kind of a person that sees the world a little bit differently or from like a more creative lens can sometimes not necessarily feel like you fit. I think it's harder to find a sense of belonging if you have that kind of personality like I do. And so I think that what was really exciting for me when I was coming up, when I was a teenager and in my 20s, were just finding other people that loved Jesus and that loved the arts and creativity and really found a way to live out their faith and to really praise God through being people with certain 
really interesting thoughts about how to make beautiful art in the world and how to make the world a little bit more lovely. And so mm-hmm. I think that the church today can cultivate, you know, communities of creative people that can, you know, be really edifying and maybe a way that's a little bit more attractive for folks that don't necessarily connect to kind of traditional praise music or, you know, I mean, I love lots of praise songs. I think that's lovely. But I think for some of us, there might be other ways to really worship and receive God. And that might just be through more like reading liturgy or more contemplative stuff. There might be different ways to kind of reach folks that might not necessarily feel like they connect with the kind of dominant culture of the church. Mm -hmm. That's so good. God is so creative. And I love that what we're seeing this rise on media with The Chosen, with the Jesus Revolution, with podcasts, the rise of women speaking so powerfully in in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit on social media. We are seeing all of that creativity come to life, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. I do. Yeah, by the way, The Chosen is so great. I've been been watching it with their kids. And I am funny. I kind of didn't watch it at first because I thought, this is too popular. I don't know what the deal is, but... I think like a lot of people, I felt ministered to just in a surprising, lovely way. So that reminds me, we have some more to catch up on in the third season. <laughs> I know. You have to go back. I had an interview with Dallas Jenkins and Amber Shana Williams a couple oh, of weeks ago. Oh, I'd love to hear that. So yes. Cool. Yes. Okay. It was so amazing. So amazing. Yes. I, I think it's truly amazing. You know, we heard so many things like negative things spoken over our generation but I think God has been saving the best for last. And I think the millennials and the Gen Xers are, we are about to throw our hats into the ring. And I'm so excited. I have such hope, such hope in the midst of this great darkness. That, yeah, that- you know, I was just writing about that this morning. I was just journaling a little bit. It's interesting. I've spent the last few years researching a lot of, I think, what's gone wrong. Sometimes people will ask, like, Sarah, why would you write a book? Like, why do we need to talk about what went wrong? Isn't that just bringing it to light more? Isn't that just talking about things that we don't want to focus on as Christians? But I'm, I'm just very, very, very convicted that when we talk about what happened, when we understood where we've had missteps, when we see what's broken, like we were called to do that work, I think, to bring everything to the light, you know, to bring everything to the surface, not because we want to burn anything down, but because we love the church and we want to move forward. And so part of my work is let's examine what some of the dynamics that happened when a lot of us were kids, because we want to not do that again. We want to not make the same mistakes. And because we really believe and have hope that, you know, there are good things ahead. And so I say that with eyes open. I mean, certainly Maybe denominations will continue to divide. Maybe politics in the church will continue to really be conflated. I mean, I think there's a lot of brokenness to come, but I am more convinced than ever that there are many of us looking around the room and finding each other and saying, like, you know, if we really believe it's true that the church will always exist, and because the church was called into existence and shepherded by and cared for by Jesus himself, the only way the church will disappear is if it's a myth. But I'm convicted, like a lot of us, that this is a real, beautiful, powerful story. With a, The Christian story is a story with a future that is here to stay. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like you and full of hope for very good things to come. And also, you know, with like Gen Z and thinking about the Asbury Revival, I feel like 
the next generation too just has a lot of longing and eyes open. And so I think those of us that have hearts burning for change, that long to see change, are really coming together and starting to move forward in the presence of brokenness. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I couldn't agree with you more. If we do not acknowledge where we've come from, we are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I personally believe that this world deserves to see a living and loving Jesus. And what a privilege and honor to show them who he really is. Amen. Yeah. Is there anything burning on your heart you'd like to say directly to our listeners before we go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I would just say that I think that oftentimes I end up talking to younger folks or people that are maybe in Gen Z or maybe there's listeners that are really struggling. I mean, I think all of us are in different places, you know, but I think if there's folks that are struggling right now and having a a confusing relationship with church and aren't sure how your future with church looks, I think I would just say that it's okay to think about and doubt and ask big questions and to not be afraid to, to ask. Because if Jesus is true and I'm convinced that he is real and true, then I think that God can handle our doubts and our questions. And those are ways that we become closer and stronger and more clear-eyed about our faith. And so I think I used to be afraid that doubt was the opposite of faith or that if I asked too big a question, maybe everything would fall apart. But I have such an open-handed sort of calmness in my heart about and a peace about asking big, hard questions, because I think that's where God can meet us and grow our faith in really surprising ways. And I guess the other thing I would say is to ask those questions with other people and to resist isolation, because I think when we isolate, that's the real space where we can really stumble, where the enemy of our souls can really I think get like a, a foothold in our life. I think when we find other people and move towards community and mm-hmm. not isolate and ask these questions, it's a really beautiful space to be in and a space that you, we can give the time we need to give. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Well, I wish that we could continue to talk, but I know that you need to go. Um, will you pray for our listeners today? Oh, sure. Thanks, Christina. Dear Jesus, we come to you today from so many different places. Some of us are strong in belief. Some of us are doubting. Some of us are in grief. Some of us experience joy. Wherever we are and whoever we are, God, if we're exploring and investigating Christianity, if we are thriving, I pray that you would meet each person listening wherever they are today. God, and I pray that you would bring unity and love and joy in the presence of all of our daily struggles, God, that You would bring a sense of consolation in the presence of doubt or in the presence of grief or fear or anger, that your Holy Spirit would come. And I pray that you would be with folks from Gen X and millennials, and I pray that you would be with the generation that Christine and I are both in, that you would help many more of us define each other and continue to do the work of reforming the church and that we would all join together from all generations to continue to move your countercultural, beautiful, upside-down message of love forward, God. And I again think of Psalm 1819, God, where you say, you've brought us into a spacious place. You've rescued us because you delight in us. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much for that beautiful prayer. And I have such hope, such hope. Thank you so much, Christina. This has been a joy. Yes. I wish we could go on and on and on. I think we could. These are important things. So I will just say, get her book. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I hope and I pray that today's episode has blessed you. I will have links from today's podcast and resources in the show notes on cpnshows.com under Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find additional resources to connect with us and our special guest, Sarah Phillips. And don't forget to pick up a copy of her new book, Orphaned Believers, How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find Their Way Home. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I hope today's episode has blessed you. Please subscribe, share it with your friends, and don't forget to sign up for our ministry mailing list for more encouraging content about our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Just text JESUS to 1-833-815-7778. That's 1-833-815-7778. 7778. And of course, it's your turn now to join the conversation. Send me your burning questions, leaders you would like to hear from in the body of Christ, your testimonies, and more. Just click join the conversation in the show notes. And for more information about our ministry, visit us at ChristinaPereira.org. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless.